Hello and welcome to Trek Film Society, the show on Talk Film Society where we take a look at the Star Trek movies from a movie perspective. I'm Mike and I'm joined as always by Diego. How's it going, Diego? Um, I'm alive. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm at war with a bundle of raccoons in this farmland oh, wow. I find myself in. Uh, no one talks about how big raccoons are. This is not a bit. There are legitimately like large <laughs> raccoons uh, all over Riverside County in California. So if you're in Riverside and you're out at night, please be careful. They're really oh. big. They don't talk about how big they get. Thank you. I don't want to jump in because I have not been introduced yet, but I have many questions which maybe we'll answer later or in another special raccoon episode. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that other voice you're hearing is Marcelo. How's it going, Mar- Marcelo? Uh, I'm doing great. Just to be clear, are we all drinking alcohol when we record these now? I I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm drinking a diet Dr Pepper as per usual. I, I very, very rarely drink alcohol. Although I, I do have a bottle of uh, Singani sixty three, and on the weekends I've been making um, Dr Thackeray's, which is <laughs> yes. uh, Dr Pepper and uh, Singani. Which so, is which is how much? What, what's the recipe again, Mike? For those who haven't listened to the well, to the it, was it Logan Lucky episode of Soderbergh? 2828 probably yeah um yeah. well i mean like the the, the alcohol content in singani is the same as the alcohol content in jack daniels so i was mixing it at the same you know like an like an ounce of uh or i think it's just a, yeah two two ounces of two ounces of 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 singani to 10 ounces of uh, Dr. Pepper, but I'm I'm really not that big a fan of drinking, so I, I find that I enjoy it more if it's only one ounce to uh, to twelve ounces because you know yeah. it's a can. Mm-hmm. So that's what I do. I, I admire that. you, yeah, because <laughs> uh, I I took a break um, for like a few days. Now I'm back at it again. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I can't help to drink. I'm drinking a five one two IPA. Which is a very good IPA from Austin, Texas, hmm. where I'm recording from. So that's my hmm. drink of choice tonight. Um, what, what are you drinking, Diego? Uh, this is just vodka on the rocks. But <laughs> I did pick up some IPA. It's like some cool wave. It looks like a chill wave retro IPA. I don't know. Uh, my friend Sandra. Sandra, I know you don't like Star Trek, but I'm going to force you to listen <laughs> to this one. Uh, she recommended it, and she works at a liquor store. So it was like okay you don't fuck me over so i'm gonna try that out next time then we record yeah, these yeah. i'll cool. let you guys know to tune in everyone for the uh, star trek 09 episode right yeah, yeah oh that nice. actually might be the perfect episode to have like a energy drink with <laughs> well they, so. they do they have a couple drinks in in there in, in that one they've got i think they have bud light uh they oh, also have right. slush show of course remember slush show um, but you know, here for this episode, we should probably be drinking Romulan ale or, or Chateau Picard, which I mm-hmm. actually do have a bottle of Chateau Picard. Oh, um, yeah, you know, uh, CBS. are you, are you they, ever going to open it? I, you, you know what? I was, I, I was going to, because we, st- the, really the, the person who introduced me to Star Trek is my, my aunt Rita, my, my grandmother's sister. Right. And, 
she she was the only person in my family, her and her daughter were the only people in my family who were Star Trek fans. And she had all the Star Trek movies sitting on her shelf at, at home. And on Christmas Day, 1992, I was like, could I borrow the first one? And she's like, take them all. And that's how I, you know, sort of like began this quest. And now uh, here we are, uh, 28 years later or whatever, and my Aunt Rita is the same age as Picard in Picard. Oh, wow. She's she's 90 wow. years old, you know? So I was like, hey, because she doesn't have CBS All Access. I'm like, hey, why don't you come over and we can watch it? And she's like, that's that's all. Yeah. She's like, yeah, I totally want to see that. So we had been going through the show and my plan was to get her to sit down and record a podcast with me where we'd hear the perspective of Picard from someone who is, you know, like the same age as the main character, you know, and, and who is a lifelong Star Trek fan. And I thought, since she's a big fan of red wine, that I'd pop it open for that. Um, and we, we got like three or four episodes in and then, you know, all hell broke loose. And uh, yeah, yeah that was kind of the end of that for the time being. So we'll see. We'll pick it back up eventually. But I figured that might be a good time to open it up. That's that's great. Uh, yeah, that's a really nice story. Yeah, uh, I, I I hope your aunt's doing okay, and I hope you eventually yeah get to get to recording those episodes. Uh, yeah. yeah, and also I didn't realize that Picard was ninety years old. Yeah, in, in Picard. Well, ne- neither did Patrick Stewart until he was doing some <laughs> interview, and someone's like, he's, not, he's like, oh really? He's ninety. He's always played it. Pl- the character has always been older than than he has been. Um, by, you know, maybe like 10 or 15 years. So, uh, and it's the future, right? You know, they have longer lifespans, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I yeah. think like the average lifespan is like 135 or something like that. I don't know what it is. Oh my God. Like Lord. No, 117. I mean, they live, they can live to like 135, mm-hmm. but something like that. Anyway. Well, yeah. Speaking of lifespans. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about some characters dying. Yeah, watching, I, I get watching we're, this movie. It felt like a lifespan. We're we're doing <laughs> Star Trek Nemesis first, right? And then yeah, yeah, yeah. We're doing Star Trek Nemesis first. So, Insurrection comes out. It was successful. It made money. It wasn't a blockbuster like First Contact was. Um, so you know, and, and it wasn't like critically acclaimed like First Contact was. So it was kind of like you will do. Well, yeah, we'll do another one of those. We'll get to it. You know, but we got our Deep Space Nine going and our Voyager and then Voyager ends and they start up the good old Enterprise. And, you know, it was like one of those things where they kept on getting pushed back. Patrick Stewart started making X-Men movies like it just kept on getting pushed back. And I remember when they were finally like we're doing it and there's the Star Trek communicator was the magazine, the fan club magazine. And every issue they had like an interview with Rick Berman, the showrunner of the franchise, who would give an update on what was going on in the franchise. And they're like, are you doing a Star Trek 10? And he's like, yeah, we are. We're really excited about it. We have an A-list screenwriter on board. We can't say who it is, but they're A-list. And I'm like, hmm, interesting, right? Then it was revealed that that screenwriter was John Logan, who wrote Gladiator, 
any given Sunday, uh, bats. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have seen bats. <laughs> I have seen bats. Um, okay, I have, cool. I have not seen bats. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to see bats. <laughs> I haven't seen bats, but I want to see it too. How's bats, so, uh, Diego? Not a high watermark in the career of Academy Award nominee John Logan. <laughs> You know, and, yeah, I just opened up his filmography, <laughs> and Mike, I, I really wanted you to say Bats, and you did, so thank you. But yeah, he did no. Bats the same year as Any Given Sunday, and then a year after that, Gladiator, so. Yeah. There you go. And, and I mean, I'm sure, you know, at the time, Gladiator was, of course, the one which everyone was like, Gladiator, but to me, it's all about Any Given Sunday. I mean, come on. <laughs> which is a movie good. I need to see. Oh, Sam, I have seen not it? seen that. I have seen Bats, though, so. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> Well, at least that's something. Um, uh, uh, Bats, interestingly enough, is uh, one of the first movies to be encoded for Dolby Digital Surround EX. Oh, nice. Or yeah, maybe I mean, not interestingly I'm, enough. I'm I, interested. Interested. I like it. Uh, okay. yeah. I, I'm imagining how that would have sounded with, you know, the, I'm sure there are bats flying around in that movie. I yes, imagine, you know. hope so. <laughs> the movie called Bats. <laughs> It's like, guys, these bats don't fly. That's what's special about them. Yeah, they're like tremors. <laughs> like, they go underground. They're, yeah. They're not ordinary bats. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, any given Sunday, watch it. Um, watch the director's cut if possible. Um, and it is possible. It's available out there. So, yeah, watch the director's cut. It's great. I will. Um, but yeah, so so okay, so it's like wow, they're taking this seriously. Like this isn't going to be just another television production on the big screen. This is going to be like a legit movie. And there was talk about it maybe being the last one, even though they're like, no, 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 we got you know. And then um, you hear John Logan's involved and it's like, that's amazing. And then, you know, you start getting into it and you find out that the way that he got involved was he's good friends with Brent Spiner, which is why Brent Spiner is in the aviator, which, you know, Logan wrote. Um, but, and then the two of them kind of hatched this idea together because Logan was a huge Star Trek fan. And then, you know, you, you there's always skepticism like, OK, these things have been done in-house by people who have worked on this franchise for their entire careers or whatever. And now you're bringing in like new blood, just some sort of guy off the street, whatever. And he's like, no, 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 I'm a legit fan. And he was talking. I remember one of the details was before he wrote the script, he sat down and watched all 178 episodes of Next Generation, you know? Wow. Like, he was hardcore about this, you know? And um, then they hired the director. And there was a lot of talk about that. You know, like, in the past, they got, you know, people who had worked on the show, Frakes, David Carson, and there was talk that the next in line was going to be LeVar Burton, uh, who plays Jordy LaForge. And... Then the studio came in and they were like, oh, we're going to pick the director on this one and we're going to give it to a guy who has helped us out a bit recently. His name is Stuart Baird. <laughs> and Stuart Baird is, is he an Oscar winning editor? He's got to be, right? I'll Nominee at, at least. He's edited so many things, so he I edited, don't know. He edited. He Superman. has been nominated. Yes, he's been nominated twice. Never okay. won. He's been he's been nominated for Superman. Yeah, and a Gorilla's in the Mist. Okay, 
and you know editor extraordinaire and uh he was an executive editor at paramount as i understand it um like each of the studios at least back in the day probably still to this day have these editors in residence who are there to help with the studio's movies i i I actually had a, a a teacher in film school who was an assistant editor and she um said that as she worked on a production that baird you know oversaw and she said that basically what these these people who are these executive editors do is as she described it they're basically allowed to mess with any movie that the studio is making that they want to right they just go in and whatever and uh in in certain instances when there's a problem picture they're brought in to recut it themselves and this is something that Bear did on a couple of movies. She said that she was, and and this could all be bullshit. Okay. I don't know. This is something that a teacher told me. And you know, I, I, this is a lot of stuff that teachers told me at film school, which were bullshit. But she said that she, she worked on a production that he took over. And the way that she described it always reminded me of like that scene in Armageddon where like they decide that they're taking over, the program and then like like the, all the military guys like file in and like there's that one shot in slow motion of like the guy in his like wheelie desk chair like wheeling back <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. that that's that's how i envision it but uh, you know he brings in his own crew and everything like that and he just does whatever he wants uh, and this is what Stuart baird would do at the studio's request, and he did it on Mission Impossible 2 and Lara Croft Tomb Raider, and I think he got, like, a, a producer credit on Tomb Raider, and, you know, he got, like, a special thanks on, on Mission Impossible 2, and as a thank you for fixing those two movies, the studio gave him the directing job on Nemesis. And, I mean, it's not without precedent. He had directed two movies in the past. Executive Decision. Did you guys see that? I did not see that. Uh, It's one of those I think I saw in Drunken Night five years ago, but I I can't remember. Yeah, it's got Kurt Russell in it and Steven Seagal and Halle Berry in, like, her first role. And uh, it's... I, 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 I liked it. I mean, it's not great, but it's like, you know... Uh, terrorists take over a plane and now Kurt Russell who's just like a regular guy who's like learning how to fly like for fun needs to like you know stop these terrorists and land this plane like that sort of thing and uh, yeah Steven Seagal's in it I I won't ruin the Steven Seagal thing for you if you're planning (laughs) on watching it but it's pretty great uh, um, n- n- now that I think about it, I have not seen it, but I do know what happens to Steven Seagal. So yeah, he's he's like the guy who they're going to bring in. I'm going to ruin it for you, Diego. I'm sorry. It's fine. Uh, it's fine. He's, he's the guy who they're going to bring in to like save the plane, and there's he's like going to transfer, and then like something happens, and it gets broken, and he gets sucked out of the plane, and uh, it happens like 15 minutes in the movie. So you yeah. think like, oh, Steven Seagal is going to save the day, and then he <laughs> dies at the beginning of the movie. That's pretty great. It's pretty great. That's pretty great. And and then you know after that. That he he directed the sequel to The Fugitive, U.S. Marshals, which I have seen, and I think I it's pretty damn good. I like that movie. 
I have also seen it, and I think it's fine. <laughs> I, I, I would say I, I'm, I'm more with Diego, but... Um... I I don't know what it is about me, me in that movie, but when I saw it, I um, I didn't expect anything. But as soon as Tommy Jones' character is revealed in that movie, like he, he's in like a chicken mascot costume, yes, and the dr- dramatic music plays, and he takes off the mask, and it's him. I was like, yes, this is amazing (laughs) that's where i was like what and and i mean to to be fair i was like 18 years old when that thing came out i thought for sure that was the movie that was going to overthrow titanic for the (laughs) i mean because it's like oh it's a sequel you know i mean it just made sense but Mm -hmm. yeah and i was like this is this is the role that he won an Oscar for, right? And then you see him. Tom Lee Jones, the, yeah. He's in the chicken suit, and it's like, okay, well, then there we go. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. That's all I got to say. It's amazing. I mean, like, Robert Downey Jr. is really cool in it, and Wesley Snipes is cool in it. Yeah. But, like, the problem that I have with that movie is it's like, wouldn't okay so now we're, we 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 established that the US marshals are cool right okay, <laughs> okay they yeah. cha- they chased Harrison Ford who is a wrongfully accused fugitive and now they're getting their own movie and they're chasing Wesley Snipes who's a wrongfully accused fugitive it's like wouldn't it be cool if they chased like an actual bad guy yeah. i don't know i mean thinking outside of the box here that's what i would do yeah, that's it, it, that's, that's just a, such a natural tee-up. And uh, to, to bring it back to Nemesis, before we get too heavy on, like, the actual, like, movie itself, uh-huh. do you guys know the Tony Scott connection with this film? No, please tell me, because I've been thinking of Tony Scott a lot recently, so yes. Yeah, well, Tony Scott would have directed the absolute fuck out of this movie, first of all. Yeah. But also, um, Jeffrey L. Kimball, I believe, is the cinematographer's name, worked with yes. him on... Beverly Hills Cop 2, which is an excellent sequel, Top Gun, which everyone apparently likes, and I think something else that's very good. Um, and then Stuart Baird, the editor, edited The Last Boy Scout, which was directed by Tony Scott, which yes. is also maybe the greatest film ever made, uh, which did Nemesis Jerry, is not. <laughs> did Jerry Goldsmith ever do a Tony Scott score? I don't know. Probably. It sounds like, like everyone. Yeah. I think so. He did. He did a Ridley Scott score. Yeah. Maybe that's why I'm confusing. I'll look it up. But yeah, that, that's true. And Kimball, I mean, we'll get into that. We'll get we'll get into it. Um, but yeah. So Stuart Baird, he gets this job. He gets this job, and this is the result. So, <laughs> well, um, can I can I quickly ask a question? Did yeah. Stuart, Stuart Baird want this job? <laughs> I think he liked the idea of doing a, a huge blockbuster sequel thing, right? But I don't think that he uh, cared about Star Trek at all. And I guess the reason why I say that is because he said stuff like, I never watched the show. I, I watched all of the movies. Well, I, I watched some of the movies. Um and then there were some other incidents on set, like uh, when he would talk to Data and be like, I think you should be showing more emotion in this scene. And Brent Spiner would be like, well, my whole deal is that I don't show emotion. <laughs> or like he goes over to Jordy LaForge, uh, you know, with his his, his uh, implants because he doesn't have the visor anymore. Now he's got like the, the bionic implants. And he's like, okay, so uh, then... 
the alien comes over here and LeVar Burton's like, I'm not playing an alien, you know, and, <laughs> and, and, and of course the job was like his before Baird took over and he's like, what's going on? And it was kind of a shit show in that regard. Yeah, I, mean, I can, I can believe that. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, we should all just say it, huh? Where do we well, go what, from what, here? Do you, what do you guys? What do you guys think about <laughs> like, it? I mean, this is. I think this was the film that killed the franchise, right? Like, it, it stopped it, like dead in its water for the film series. And that, and that you could feel. I mean, as someone who was like you know there, right? As a Star Trek fan, like you could like palpably feel that. I mean, the lead up to this movie was great, right? Like. John Logan, and you'd hear this stuff. I mean, I had a quote taped to to, to the booth at, at at work. You know, what from Will Wheaton, where he's like, "This is going to be the best Next Generation movie by far." Uh, you know, this is this is our Wrath of Khan. You know, um, I, talking to Larry Nemechek, the the you know publisher or editor of the the Star Trek Communicator, he talked about how when he read the script, you know, he's like. It felt epic. It felt huge. It felt like this was, you know, going to be the the next gen masterpiece. Everyone felt that going into it, and I was there at the very first show at Yorktown. See it in THX on opening day, and there were like three other people in the theater. And right then, I knew I'm like this franchise is dead. Like I, it, it was, it was so obvious. Like, I, I mean, words cannot describe. Like, you could just, you could hear the death rattle of the Aww. franchise in that well, theater. You know, I've about that. Like, I did see the trailer for this, and it did advertise like, you know, the Enterprise's last adventure begins or something. So, this was advertised as the end, right? I think I think what happened was because like leading up to it, they I mean, there was even talk about like Logan and Spiner had like written the outline for like a trilogy or something, mm, you know. OK. And I think what happened was as production progressed and as they saw what they had and as they saw that they were coming out like five days after two towers and stuff like that, they were like this is the end. We might as well promote it like that. Right. You know, that's what I think happened to be okay. honest. Yeah. Um, cause I could, I could, I don't know. I could easily see this as being like, well, the, the, the whole trilogy thing. Now that you say it, like they could maybe pull like a, you know, search for Spock and like have the second movie in this, you know, supposed trilogy be them, you know, bring, data back to life or some shit like that but we're sticking his head in before or whatever you know yeah yeah mm-hmm. um but uh are we sharing our initial thoughts or our thoughts yeah, on let's, this let's do it let's, let's share our it. initial thoughts well my initial thought because this is my first time watching this i start first um i did have trouble watching the movie <laughs> <laughs> um but overall i enjoyed it i thought for what it is, it's a a decent enough fitting ending to the series and these characters, right? Um, and yeah, well, I don't know. I got through the first hour. I felt drowsy. Took a nap for four hours. <laughs> came back, watched the second half, 
and it's it's good. It's fine. I think I like. Th- okay, back to the last episode, Mike. <laughs> yes, I, I had this in mind uh-huh. watching this. I'm glad you said this last week. Okay, you said that you liked Nemesis because it swings for the fences. You know, I think you compared it to Batman v Superman, right? Yeah, I, I, I did. Um, and I had that in mind, and I could see that it does swing for the fences. It does feel bigger. It does reach for something. It doesn't always succeed, but I appreciate the effort. So, in I don't know, in a better director's hands, even the writing is not. I mean, yeah, it, I, in how uh, Insurrection played it. I think the reason why I liked Insurrection is because I think it played it safe and it was a perfect, like, little... Not perfect. It was, like, a decent enough, like, TV episode on the big screen, right? Yeah. This, <laughs> it's, like, it, it it goes for that epic feel. It goes for, like, a grand story, but it doesn't accomplish it. It does... It, 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 does, it has so many missteps that I'm, like, it's frustrating to see. But by the end, I'm, like, okay, fine. It's not perfect, but it'll do. <laughs> that's that's my feeling about this whole thing. It, it it was nice to watch by the end, but man, is it frustrating to actually, you know, just what what could have been, what could have been. Yeah, you, you look at like the movies that were coming out right around this time. This is the same year as Attack of the Clones, Two Towers. Harry Potter 2, I think, was coming out right here. Spider-Man, right? X-Men. It's like all of these big special effects extravaganzas. And this really felt like it's like, we can do that too. And then it didn't. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's what it felt like to me. Yeah. Because yeah. it, 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 I, I had to remind myself this is 2002. There are shots in this that just feel very much... Not to its detriment, not that it's a bad thing, but it felt very George Lucas prequels. Um, like right away, like the, I forget where they are. The, was it the Romulan city mm-hmm. or something? Like that opening shot, I was like, oh. Yeah, that's so, uh, the CGI I didn't quite. And, and what, a, yeah. what a weak start to this movie, right? I mean, like all the <laughs> others, it's like either tons of credits or like Praxis explodes or whatever. And this one is just like. <laughs> hey, you, hmm. you say it's weak, but that. That E is reversed. And look, I, Nemesis. Ooh. I saw it. I saw it. It was cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I wish it had opening credits and stuff like that, too. Because especially for, like, the decision to make this the last one like that, that it should have been, like, you know, like, Star Trek. You know, here's the classic opening and the titles and the, the credits and the cool space visuals. And uh, I have gone on record as not liking this movie. So that's that's where I was coming in through this rewatch. And after rewatching it, I am happy to say that I was wrong. This is a good movie. Oh. I, I genuinely think this is a good movie. Wow. The, <laughs> I don't know what it is, but <laughs> along with Marcelo, Mike, your BVS note was just like <laughs> it flipped a switch in my brain. And I was like, oh, I see it. It's a script by one of my favorite crazy people. And it, like, everything is about, like, 
this semblance of like duality and like nature versus nurture and even like the the corridors and like the separate ships are like intentionally reversed there's this great shot of data and b4 like where the camera's tracking one face and then it flips over and gets to the other face like get it we're all mirrors of each other and we're all like connected and I was very taken back by how much I like this. Uh, it's still not as good as First Contact, but I was like, hey, this is, like, really compelling. Like, I, I think at times it needs a little more room to breathe. Um, there's a scene that is just wrong for this film, mm. uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about, like I everyone else has. I think I know what has. you're talking about. It's pretty easy to point out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But besides that, I was really into it, and I think Shinzon is the best of the next-gen villains, like, by a mile. <laughs> like, minus the Borg. The Borg are, like, eternal. Everyone knows that, right? Like, they're the perfect Star Trek villain, but for Picard, that's, like, that, all, all of this, I was, I was flabbergasted by how much I enjoyed it this time. And I, I'm going to backtrack and say I was frustrated, but I'd say... And th- I th- this is my comparison. This frustrated me like how Batman Forever frustrates me. Because I genuinely enjoy Batman Forever. I do. 25th anniversary been... tomorrow, by the way. Woo! There you go. I, uh, I do love that movie well, for what it is. But it's frustrating to think, you know, with maybe another rewrite or something, it could have been, you know, just, a, just you know, maybe one of the best ever. Mm-hmm. But it's still really entertaining. I still enjoy it. I still love rewatching it and this reminded me of that it just has it has those ideas and i like that duality but to me it doesn't really like stick but it's still so interesting to watch and i like that it's at least attempting that so it doesn't play it safe every single you know minute of its runtime but uh at least it's interesting to watch <laughs> mm-hmm. i just to, to digress on Batman Forever for a minute, I mean, what you're saying about that, I mean, I mean, there you, people are going crazy over the Snyder Cut. It's like, release the Schumacher Cut, for oh, God's yeah. sake. Um, I mean, wasn't there, I don't know the, the exact details, but yeah, there are like, what, 20 minutes of deleted scenes that it's are out a, there somewhere? It's It's so different that when the DVDs came out in like 2005 Schumacher was like can I release the director's cut and they're like sure so long as it works with seamless branching with the theatrical and he's like it, it wouldn't so they didn't do it that's how different it is oh, that's but ridiculous. Wow. there was recently an interview with Akiva Goldsman where he talks about it and he's like yeah you know we tested it there was a lot of dark stuff in there and the thing that he brought up which is just like damn is like the reason why Bruce Wayne is so tortured in this particular movie is because he comes across like his dad's diary and the last entry in the diary is like, uh, I really don't want to go see this damn movie, but Bruce really wants to see it. So I guess we'll take him, you know? I mean, like that's pretty, that's not very Batman forever. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I there is a this is me going off a tweet you know speaking of things that are probably bullshit but from my memory somebody tweeted out details about how there's like maybe an extended sequence of Bruce Wayne when he's knocked out or something in his dreams he 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 goes and like just goes through like this odyssey of like talking to his dead dad and just like digging up crazy personal shit in his life and I want to see that because <laughs> like, yeah. to me the, the the core concept of Batman Forever is 
is like insanely rich with like you, you could have done so much with that and they, they they do enough that i still find that movie generally entertaining yeah but man it, it again i want to see that extended cut i want to yeah. see what else they held back and god yeah i i do like that movie a lot yeah maybe one day anyway one day. Oh, with it, this one, it would make it a fun double feature, though, really quick. Just Batman Forever and Star Trek Nemesis. I, I, think I don't so. think I, I think they need to get their due. Batman Forever kind of is getting it now. Yeah, for what it's worth. Yeah, Nemesis. I think it'll take a while longer. I don't know. <laughs> uh, there, there's a few people who really love this. Shout out to Amy Nelson. She's a huge fan of Star Trek Nemesis. And uh, yeah. Anyway, um, so. <laughs> so uh, I mean, I, I I enjoy this movie. I would say that it's probably the third best of the next gen movies, or second worst, depending on how you want to look at it. <laughs> um, I I don't, I, you know, I don't think it, it's great by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think it's decent. Um, I, I wish that there was more to it. And uh, while watching it, I, I you know, I I, st- I was thinking about how everyone always talks about the original script, like even on the DVD, like Rick Berman's like John Logan's original script was, you know, an extra 45 minutes long and everything. And the way that people talk about this script, it's like, it is this, this, you know, like, like, like the original script from the Magnificent Ambersons or something like that. This thing, which is like lost to time or whatever, because I mean, the, the unspoken, you know, thinking is that, Stuart Baird messed it up, right? And I don't I don't think you can put it fully on Stuart Baird's shoulders. I mean, I think they gave him like basically no money compared to what it was, but I found the script online and I read it and it's interesting. It's not a game changer in terms of the differences, right? And and they do have about 20 minutes of deleted scenes on the Blu-ray disc and everything which you can watch and some of those weren't even in the script that I wrote or that I red sorry but um <laughs> but um it, it, it's it is interesting i guess th- my big takeaway from it was like for one thing it felt like you know i mean logan coming off of stuff like gladiator and any given sunday being an a list writer like he was writing this as if he was writing a jj verse movie right like that's you you could tell that's what he saw in his head and they probably saw that and were like on the page like this is amazing but we're not going to give you jj money you know yeah. we're going to give you we're going to give you uh, us marshals money here <laughs> you, you know what i mean so like i mean even like the descriptions of like some of the sets or some of the props it's like this this amazing detail and then you see it in the the finished product and it's like i mean it's there but it's just kind of a thing sitting on a desk. You know what I mean? So so there's that. But there is also a thing which, you know, Stuart Baird, being a a great editor, he knows exactly what is necessary to tell a particular story. But what he does not understand for this particular movie is that you're not just telling the story of Star Trek Nemesis, you're wrapping up 15 years worth of these these stories from these characters and what the script has in it is a lot of like little character moments, which sort of uh, help to 
bring things to a conclusion. You know, it gives closure to a lot of the characters, sends them into different places. There's a couple of scenes at the end of the movie, which were cut out where um, you, you see where people are going, you know, uh, they, they bring in, uh, what's his name? Um, the guy who always plays Robert Kennedy in everything. Um, uh, was it Stephen Culp? Uh, Is that his name? I forget. I don't know. Name. I don't know. Um, but he, he comes in and he like, he's the new first officer and everything. And it's really kind of like passing the torch and all this stuff. And I mean, I'd love to see like that, those extra 45 minutes, I think it would make a, a better movie. But at the same time, I know that Stuart Baird would be like, no, I mean, he said like theatrical cuts, are the way he's like aside from Blade Runner, has there ever been a theatrical cut which is uh worse than a director's cut? You know, no, probably not. So I, as much as I'd like to see this extended cut, it's not it's not the movie. It's not the movie as made by the filmmaker. So you know, filmmaking isn't a democracy, it's a cheerocracy. I actually agree with that, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, and as it stands, for all the choices that he made, they didn't work as well. So he's he's not like he doesn't have like an eye. Like the the cinematography is clearly like when it works for me, it is clearly just it's Jeffrey Kimball like putting in the work. Like you know when they're on the desert planet, <laughs> give that to another cinematographer, and it's ugliest, most boring oversaturated high contrast image ever but with jeffrey kimball he's like yeah, i'll kind of toss a, a jerry bruckheimer filter on it too you know it's just a little something it, it's it's the worst sequence in the film to me minus the one that we'll get to of course but um like like then there's the lighting like on on um when they introduce uh, praetor shinzong who is uh played by tom hardy everyone's yeah. favorite mumbly man and uh, i i was, was yeah and uh everyone who worked with him was like talks him up as being like this great actor and they were on the money he's he's one yeah. of the best right now and yep. uh I, I really like the lighting in that scene like the the weird like staircases behind him and stuff like that and like an illuminates he gets closer and closer and i don't know i, I was really like into that whole part of the film uh, but yeah, Stuart, Stuart Baird can't block to save his life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm more convinced now that uh, Stuart Baird was the wrong pick to do this because, I mean, to your point, Mike, about him being an editor first, like uh, the thing that came to mind just now was the the very end when spoiler alert, Data sacrifices himself and the crew comes together for a toast. And you you you, uh, you hear uh, uh, Frank's um, I forget his character's name. God damn, we've been doing so many of these episodes. Riker. Riker. You hear Riker, you know, give his toast and his he he goes back and remembers first meeting uh, Data Data and um, but the the camera sticks to you know Picard's face, Patrick Stewart's face. And it just feels odd to ah, uh, it kind of sums up the movie for me. <laughs> it sticks to. Patrick Stewart's face when it should have, you know, cut back to the crew. Because this, again, this is the last movie for the next generation. It should be a send-off to these characters that we know and love. But it sticks to Picard's character because 
Stuart Barrett's like, yes, this is Picard's movie. We should just stick to him. Which he has a point. Sure, it is. But if it's the final movie and it's the final time we're spending with these characters, why take why why not? I mean, why just why just stick to a shot that just leaves everybody else out? I don't know. That I, that came to mind when when you were talking about Baird and his thought process and him. I, I I think him being the wrong choice for this. Yeah, and that is the last time you see any of those characters, which is yeah. super weird. I mean, like in the script, like after that scene, there's the scene with B four, you know, whatever, and then there's like a scene with like. Jordy and Worf like cleaning out Data's quarters and then Data's cat spot like jumps into Worf's arms and you know uh, Worf's like I'm not a cat person and Jordy's like it looks like you are now you know it's like oh he's taking the cat you know and and uh, then you know there's a whole thing about how like Dr. Crusher is going off to Starfleet Medical to run you know the, the the Starfleet Academy or something like that. And, you know, Riker and Troy are going off to their ship. And then you see, you know, you see Riker, like, prank the new first officer and and everything. And it's like all of these little bits are kind of... And then, like, the the, the way that the movie ends in the the script and and in the deleted scenes is basically uh, Picard on the bridge of the ship as everyone is leaving and all these new people are coming on and it's like, wow, okay, uh, things have changed, but now there's a new next generation and, you know, we're going to keep on doing this. We're going to keep on exploring. Things are going to continue even though uh, they've changed and, you know, it's going to be okay. And then that's how the thing ends, which is to me kind of perfect. But apparently yeah. not. So apparently they disagreed. <laughs> uh, that sounds like, great, though. <laughs> yeah, and you yeah. can find all those scenes online. Um, by the way, they're on the iTunes version. They're on the DVD and the Blu-ray, and I'm sure they're probably on YouTube as well. If you were to uh, to, to look, um, but yeah, and and Kimball's photography, I agree, is great. He's awesome. He also shot Wild Things. Fantastic movie. Fantastic cinematography. He's Do you love that movie? Mike. I love it. I love it so much. It's not even funny. I think you made me watch that movie for a podcast years ago. I'm sure I probably did. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, so yeah. Um, what's what's this? What's the scene that you're? Uh, you're oh yeah, the mind rape. Yeah, that's not good. Why is that's that in bad. this? What that's the hell? Bad. There's they no excuse. They do that all the time to poor. Counselor Troy, how many times on the show has that happened? And that is, there is a good edit, by the way. Originally, there were two of those. There was that first one, and then there's another one when she's like in the turbo lift or whatever. And it it, it actually, I mean, from a storytelling standpoint and everything, it makes a lot more sense for it to only happen one time. But yeah. That's something which has forever been a problem with the writing of Troy. And, uh, yeah, they didn't learn up until the very end. So mm-hmm. It's insane that that's in this movie yeah. <laughs> or in any movie. Yeah, like, that's a very, like, real thing to address. And it takes a lot of 
empathy and nuance, and it shouldn't just be like male writers do this all the time. I'm actually a big John Logan fan. I, I really like his work in the last decade in particular. But like, come on, man! Like, you can always just tell when it's a man writing this stuff. Like, it's it's just so obvious yeah. how they try to put women in danger and stuff like that. You know, like Mark Millar, like, is really bad with that too. And I, I. I've, I just, it's still a problem, like, now, and I, I hate that it hasn't, like, been fixed. So, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think, well, no, he kind of does an Alien Covenant also, but it's it's less, like, it's less literal. It's like, well, no, it, it is still literal, but uh, <laughs> the, the, alien, the Alien movies are, like, subtextually and then eventually just textually about that idea. So I think it works better there, but still, like, it's a very real thing you're dealing with, and it, it it takes you out of the movie, and it just stops the movie like dead in its tracks completely. So, apart from that, I'm actually a fan of this movie now. <laughs> but like, but good lord, <laughs> that scene! I was like, oh no, yeah, yeah. The the thing that had me pulling out my hair that I don't have is when after that happens, and like they're examining her, and Picard's there, and Picard's like, well, I, I think she goes like can I not do this? And Picard's like, no, come on, help us out. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. So uh, and I'm like, no, God damn it. <laughs> like, even the characters are like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and then what he gets the zapped. And then, like, the scene ends because he gets, like, uh, teleported out of there. But it, I think the reason why he got snapped out of that <laughs> scene is because they just didn't know how to end it. <laughs> They're like, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> end the scene. It's it's infuriating. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that doesn't work. Um but speaking of Logan's work uh, post-Nemesis, I mean, uh, yeah, he did do Alien Covenant, um, but he's also done some some good movies like... Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Alien Covenant's fine. I put that on the same level as Nemesis. Um, but he's oh, also God. done some, some, some good movies like Skyfall, you know, yeah. and stuff like that. Amazing. I love that movie. And Skyfall is interesting in that it was edited by Stuart Baird. Yeah, wow. uh, that's it's the re team. It's a little weird. It's a little weird. Tag team it works. Whatever. Yeah, I I wonder why Baird went back to editing after this. I have I, no idea why. I, I, yeah, I was gonna say I think it's pretty obvious, but hey, you know, I <laughs> you mean, know but, but at the same time, like, I, no, I totally get it because it's like, and and I respect it too. Because it's like, yeah, you know, everybody wants to be a director and everything like that. And he directs three movies. And he's like, I could be a decent director or I could be the best editor in the world, you know? And he's like, I'm going to be the best editor in the world. I mean, Barry Sonnenfeld has talked about that. He's like, I hate directing. I love I love <laughs> cinematography. And the only reason why I direct instead of shoot is because I get paid a lot more money to direct. He flat <laughs> out said that, you know? I so, love the honesty. <laughs> yeah. That's that's a good point. I, I, I do... Um, I respect Baird for going back to editing and like he he edited the fuck out of Skyfall. I love that movie. Um, but you know, the the way he did it, the way he was like, he realized, okay, maybe I'll just go back to editing. I wish you know some other, you know, people would just backtrack and go, okay, I've done this for so long and I'm great at it. Let me try directing. Then it work. Fuck it, because like uh, Wally Fister needs to go back to being a cinematographer because he did great work there. Yeah. Did he not win an Oscar at least once? Doing that. Then he did Transcendence, and then we haven't heard from him since. That's it. Yeah. No, he did a. He does commercials now. I think. 
Okay. He did. I mean, that's how he yeah. got his start. Actually, I was. I don't know how this came up, um, but uh, th- there's this there's this series called Inside Out, which was like a weird like sci-fi anthology series that Playboy did like back in the early nineties. <laughs> and like you look at the people who directed on it, it's like Alexander Payne, Antoine Fuqua. Oh wow. You know, yeah. uh, Sam Raimi did some work on it, not as a director, but I was like looking at the credits <laughs> to like see like who and almost the entire series was shot by Wally Pfister. Wow. Wow. It's pretty crazy. But anyway, yeah, I love that Sam Raimi just showed up. He's like, "Yeah, I'm working." No, <laughs> yeah, he's a, like, he he a like show. <laughs> he he didn't direct it, but he he shot an episode with Ted Raimi. You know? <laughs> wow. Yeah, and and like wow. like it's it, it is really cool because it is sort of like a proto thing where it's like like Alexander Payne. I forget who, who's who's his writing partner. I forget the dude's I name. Know. I forget too. But you know, I mean, the two of them have like been nominated for oscars and stuff and like they were writing together even when they were on this this playboy show you know and it, it's it's a it's a weird little weird little snapshot of uh early 90s uh whatever so there you uh, go. but speaking of other people <laughs> that need to not always direct um uh, I love Shane Black. Mm. Please just stick to writing for a little while. I, I'm not, <laughs> I, and he's not a bad director. The Nice Guys is like one of the best like comedies of the last twenty years. Um, you're not an action director, dude. That's all. I, I, I love Iron you so Man much. Three, I, I, I'm, I'm Iron Man Three is I, great. Yeah, but I don't he, know. He's made one movie which is just okay. Yeah, and I, I actually love the Predator also, but like, what, just, what, then what's the issue? Well, yeah, what is what's it? Is it Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? He, he's, kiss Kiss Bang's great. <laughs> kiss Kiss Bang Bang's the best one. No, I like all of his movies, but like, but I he should never just, direct. <laughs> he, he needs to focus on writing more than directing. That's my takeaway. Because Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is just like one of the greatest scripts ever written, and which the directing is really great too. But like. The emphasis is so clearly on the writing there. And so, yeah. like Stuart Baird, he needs to focus on the strengths. Everything else will kind of follow. And I think as he's gone on in his career, he's focused more on directing than the writing. And that's not always a problem, but for him it is. That's, that's my takeaway. Like are I, the movies that he directed, do they have like bad scripts? No, no. no. I, just, I just think like the writing gets a little looser and weaker and he's not – like like all of his stuff is like insane, you know. But like there there's a tightness to them. They're like well oiled machines where if you take one part out, it kind of the whole structure collapses. That's why you can't change the last fucking half hour of the Predator and expect it to make any goddamn sense. <laughs> Doesn't mean it's not entertaining, but like I'm just saying, he needs to focus on on the writing side more because uh, he's playing a little too fast and loose with that. Yeah, I, uh, I'm kind of with Mike here. I don't know what you're talking about, Diego. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but I certainly, you know, think that that applies to to a lot of other people for sure. I, I'm I'm actually happy that Steven Soderbergh decided not to be a writer anymore, focus more on everything else. Because, yeah, I mean, yeah, he does a lot, but imagine him also trying to be a writer at the same time. Yeah, you know, he 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 knew his weaknesses, he knew his strengths, or not weaknesses, weaknesses. He knew what to focus on. Rather than I try to do it all, even though he does do so fucking much. But he's like, oh, he's like, I'd rather not do the writing. Have someone else do that. Even though he did write like, what, three scripts during quarantine. So 
That's something. Yeah, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> like, yeah. Way to he show wrote, us all up. <laughs> I know. He wrote a sequel for 6,000 Videotape. He, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah, apparently. Um, he, I think, rewrote that one script he's going to direct soon, right, Mike? And then he also wrote an ad- adaptation of a novel. So yeah, I'm going to stab myself in the eye. I'm so like mad. A sequel to High Flying Bird too, but oh, I yeah. guess he didn't write that right. So no, no. Um, yeah, I think uh, was it um, Andre Holland was talking about that High oh, Flying okay. Bird too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, but again, before what 2020, Soderbergh didn't write anything right for no. years for decades. So yeah, yeah, yeah they missed Solaris might have been the last one. Yeah, for almost really? 20 years. Yeah. Mm. It's a really good movie. It is. Underappreciated? Yeah. Indeed. Spe- uh, speaking of underappreciated, Nemesis. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So People so, didn't like this, right? People, <laughs> no, people didn't like this. Everybody pretty much universally did not like it. <laughs> um, you know, I think a lot of people saw the potential, but yeah, it, I mean, the fans didn't like it. The critics didn't like it. Nobody went to see it, and this was the end of Star Trek. This was the end. I mean, Enterprise was still on the air for another uh, three years, but this was the end. That and that show has like the least fanfare, like out of the fandom, right? Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not uh, exactly something people yeah, go to bat for. It's it's weird. It's hard to track these things because. With this much distance, every show has their you know super fans, and it's like, oh, okay, well, I, well, I I know that you know Chris Jones, the uh, the publisher of Trek FM, loves Enterprise. But is he you know representative of everybody? Probably not. You know, and we'll get into Enterprise in a couple weeks. But Enterprise is a weird thing, partially because of when it was made. Uh, in relation to current events and everything, and uh, yeah, that's the one that got canceled. But is it is it did it get canceled because it was bad, or did it get canceled because of franchise fatigue? For the same reason that people didn't go see Nemesis because people had been watching Star Trek for you know seventeen years nonstop, and they just needed a break. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking about. Uh, Enterprise, the show, as I was watching this. Remind me again when it premiered or when it uh, uh, ended? It premiered in September of 2001. It uh, ended in May of 2005. So four seasons, you know, whereas like all of these shows were like seven seasons, you know, and and this one got canceled after four. Yeah, Uh, but it it, it had like a a series finale, right? Because I... Oh, it I had ever, a series finale. I well, I mean, it definitely had a series finale. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I mean, a finale that felt like a finale because that's what I read about. I don't. I have not seen the show, but I know how it ends. So, <laughs> right? Uh, you pro- <laughs> uh, probably do. Um, the series finale for Enterprise is one of the most hated episodes in all of Star Trek. Why is it hated? I don't it, know. Again, I haven't seen it, but why do people not like that ending? I honestly don't get it myself um but basically what it was was the people who wrote it were people who had worked on star trek for their entire careers so since the beginning of next generation and when they saw enterprise ending they weren't seeing enterprise ending they were seeing 
Star Trek ending. And what, uh, okay. what they wrote was a finale to Star Trek. Okay. And, and I just realized I should save this for when we talk about Enterprise. But okay. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 I so, think that's enough. I mean, we, we can come back to this when we talk about Enterprise. Because, again, I had that in mind. Because when I was watching this, I'm like, okay, when did Enterprise premiere? And was it running during this? And also, when did it end? And then I was thinking ahead to Star Trek, to J.J. Abrams' Star Trek, and when that you know, it was released. So. Yeah. Enterprise was running while, while this was on the air or yeah. when, when this came out in theaters, it was yeah. in season two at that point in time. Yeah. So, so then they, Star Trek took like a, what, four or five year break and came back. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, okay. So any final thoughts on Nemesis? I, I guess, I guess here's one, one last thing that I have. I mean, one of the, the things which I, I threw out there was, um, let's say that, Stuart Baird was not owed a favor and you're a studio executive in 2002 and you need to give this movie to someone suitable Uh, who who do you get to do it Uh, Diego Uh, if I'm a a producer and I'm like we need to get a director like a blank check basically because we need to nail this one or we're you know dead in the water Hey, Mr. Ridley Scott, uh, how, how was your work with John Logan on Gladiator? Oh, great. Cool. Um, how's a bajillion dollars to come do a Star Trek movie? Yes, you can do whatever you want. There, That's my – honestly, like no, no jokes. I, I think that's the one time I want Ridley Scott on a franchise picture again. Okay. All right. What about you, Marcelo? Uh, alternate history, and I thought of this answer without realizing – uh, who was in this movie? Um, but my pick is in an alternate universe. Instead of doing Blade Two, he decides to do Star Trek Nemesis. Uh, Guillermo del Toro. Okay. Um, okay with that. And uh, I did not recognize Ron Perlman yeah. in that makeup until I saw the end credits and saw his name. I go, oh, that's right, Ron Perlman's in this. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, I think with like the same, if he were given like the same. Uh, 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 free reign that I feel that he had for Blade 2. If Paramount was like, okay, fine, fuck it. Guillermo del Toro, you're just a devil's backbone. You know, you're, you're still a hot director. Uh, we're going to give you the Star Trek franchise for this film. I think he would have, I think he would have nailed it. I think, I, I think it would have been, that, that's a good choice. You know, a, a, a pretty damn good movie. Um, so that's my alternate universe pick is Guillermo del Toro. Okay. Well, for me, I mean, I'll give the answer which I, I came up with and told you guys about on Twitter, which oh at the time. Are you sure you want to? <laughs> you know, look, I'm, I'm placing this in historical context, right? Oh, yeah. 2002. If I would have said this, I'd be like, this is a brilliant choice. And that's Brian Singer, because at the time he's coming yeah. off of X-Men, you know, and he's a, a, a known Star Trek fan. At one point, he actually pitched a Star Trek series, um, to, you know, to, to Paramount or CBS or whoever. Um, looking at it from today's perspective, I would say, no, he's not a good choice. <laughs> no. <laughs> but and and with that in mind, um, I think the person who I would have gone with uh, would have been Robert Rodriguez um, because he's also a Star Trek fan. I mean, at that point in time, he was just getting into like he just made a Spy Kids movie and everything yeah. like that. And I don't know whether or not he would have said yes, but I would have 
he would have been the first person that I asked. And he probably would have been the first person that I asked even before Brian Singer because he's a better director than Brian Singer, obviously. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I think so. And especially at the time, like, he was at, like, the height of his career. And, yeah, I would have asked Robert Rodriguez. I, I had that pick in mind, too, uh, Rodriguez. Because, yeah... I, I again I thought about like what was he doing at the time Spy Kids which I just saw for the first time ever like a month ago Spy Kids wow I I've missed out on the, on the Spy uh, it's a good movie yeah. it's a good movie yeah I need to catch up on the Spy Kids movies because I have not seen any of them it's um, it's it's uh, the Spy Kids trilogy and then the Godfather trilogy right below <laughs> <it>. <laughs> okay, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll keep that in mind when I watch this Diego <laughs> thank well, you well there's four now. And a TV we don't. Show. We don't need. Oh, that's right. We don't no, need. No. To, well, there's, no, no fourth, we're not getting fourth, that. The fourth one is good. The fourth one is good. The second one is the weak link. But whatever. How dare you? <laughs> Sorry. What about lava, lava girl, and shark boy? No, oh, shark not, boy and lava not, girl. Not it's reverse, not but it's not connected. It's not also not good. canonically. Um, Shorts is pretty good though. His other kids thing. I barely oh. found out that was a real movie. I thought that was a meme for like five years. So, no, I no, love Rodriguez. Yeah. Everyone's playing has, trick on you, Diego. Yeah. No, I love Rodriguez, but there was a good like eight years where I was just like, I wonder when I'll see him again. <laughs> and now I'm back. Now we're back, baby. He's Alita Arm. Let's go. Yeah. He's got Alita. He's directed an episode of Mandalorian. Yeah, that's... That's fucking perfect. Not yeah. to get in the whole Star Wars thing on Star Trek, but for someone who's experimented with digital technology as much as he has yeah. and what that show's doing, like that's that's just so perfect. Whoever yeah. got him deserves all the money in the world. And I mean, the thing that I've been, always been saying, you know, now again, not not that I was saying it back in two thousand two, but um, I mean. You got this script that Tarantino shepherded and then, you know, was walking away from or whatever. Everyone's saying it's great. Get Rodriguez to direct it. Why not? Mm-hmm. Right? The, the the Star Trek movie, yeah. He would kill the, it. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Well, what, yeah, that's another conversation for another time. What's going to happen with Star Trek in the future? Uh, Any idea? No. I mean, the, I mean, the we film have franchise. A, well, I mean, it currently, the the person who is oh, that's hired, right, that fucker. <laughs> Noah Hawley. Um, yeah, that guy. What do you mean, that guy? Okay? I don't know. I, 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 uh, this is a tangent. This is a fucking, you can't, whatever. You can't judge him on freaking On the things he says? <laughs> oh, I, I don't know what he said, but. Apparently, I don't know. I remember him reading an, an interview or clips of an interview of him just not understanding the Coen brothers at all and him oh. running Fargo and I have not, I'm not caught up on Fargo. I, I've seen enough of it where I'm like, it's good. It's a good show. But I think he just has like a fundamental understanding of source material, which but, I don't, which I'm like, eh, I'm kind of worrisome on, and I haven't seen Lucy in the sky yet, which I'll, I'll see and I'll judge. You know, but everyone is, Everyone's favorite movie from 2019. <laughs> did you see it, Diego? No, I didn't. I'm just I seeing I saw it. I'll see it. I'll see it. <laughs> I, I, I saw it in the theater opening night. I was the only person there. <laughs> Not a good movie. But here's the thing about. Here's the thing okay, about. But, but but you're excited about uh, this guy. Here's here's the thing about Lucy in the Sky. Right? It is 
a super crazy, weird, fucked up movie. He was much like Nemesis, only way more so. He's like, I'm going to swing for the fences. I'm going to do this weird biopic, but make it like fucking insane it's gonna have 75 aspect ratios i'm gonna out aspect ratio michael bay and it's gonna be weird and crazy and cool and uh you know what it might not work but it's gonna not work a whole lot you know what i mean and i mean i watched it by myself in that theater on opening night and i was like this is not good but he's he's going for it. He's not playing it safe, you know, and he failed, and that's fine. Yeah. But you know what? Did you guys watch Legion? No, I have not seen Legion. Oh, I saw God. I saw the first episode, and I just was not into it. Oh, so God. maybe I need to give it another shot. Uh, maybe I don't know. I'm I'm only because Dan Stevens one. is is fucking awesome. terrific actor. I, I'm only in season one right now, but it really is. I mean, and it's very obvious his influences and everything, but it's kind of like, what if Stanley Kubrick made an X-Men movie? You know? And and that's what it is. I mean, not just stylistically, but also in terms of content. It's super weird, abstract. It's, it's an art house X-Men show, and it is amazing. And that is the reason why we should be excited that he is writing and directing a Star Trek movie, because what he's done with X Men is fantastic. So okay, fair, fair. Okay. Anyway, um, so speaking of uh, what people are doing with Star Trek these days, should we take a look oh, at yeah. our episode for this week? Yeah, let's go ahead. Star Trek Picard, episode one. Oh. Written by Akiva Goldsman, the writer of Batman Forever, and uh, yeah, run by Michael Shabon and you know all that good stuff. Directed by Hanalee Culpepper, who is the first black woman ever to direct Star Trek ever. Only wow. took fifty-two years. Um, Jesus. <laughs> Oh, right, um, nah, but it, that's it, unacceptable. It's 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 really bad, but um, but she's really good, and uh, yeah, um, this is the first time either of you guys saw it, right? Yes. Okay. And the reason why I, I, I picked this one, I think, is fairly obvious. It's the follow-up to Nemesis, in a lot of ways. Um, so, Marcelo, what did you think about Star Trek Picard? Um, uh, Picard is the Twin Peaks season three of the Star Trek Next Generation <laughs> franchise. I need to watch Star Twin Peaks season three, I guess. All right. Um, what? <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, watch Twin Peaks, <laughs> everyone. <laughs> okay, but uh, it it gives you know not to not to say it's not like a one to one comparison, but it gives new context to what came before. And also is great seeing these characters again. Well, Picard and, and Data in the first episode of Picard. Um, and it is... It, what's crazy is seeing them back-to-back, Nemesis and the first episode, episode of Picard. I am one of the few who has ever done it, I'm assuming. <laughs> right? Because who, who does that nowadays? Watch no. Nemesis for the first time and then watch Picard. You know, with, you know, with like 30 seconds in between. Uh, it's pretty you know? cool. Although I will say, mm-hmm. I think I even tweeted about this back when Picard came out, where, you know, just like scrolling through Letterboxd, I was like, I'm fairly certain 
that more people have watched Nemesis this week than the week that it came out in 2000. <laughs> because everyone was watching it before Picard started. But continue. Yes, you're probably the only person who did a first-time watch. Yeah. Yes, first time watching Nemesis and the first time watching Picard back to back. And it made for me Nemesis standing for that better in retrospect because I guess for me the story continues on and it gives new purpose to it, to the ending of Nemesis. Because, okay, we didn't talk about really uh, Data just sacrificing himself and dying in Nemesis, really. It, the core idea of that is great, you know, but the, they didn't pull it off as well as, you know, say, Spock in Wrath of Khan. Um, but carrying that story forward, what, like 20 years later, 18 years later, whatever, to Picard and the opening scene, uh, that song playing that uh, Data and before, like they're singing, that song playing up and you see Data and Picard together playing cards. Like the was touching because like it's you. F- <laughs> I felt more in that moment than at the end of Nemesis, which which I appreciated. So, and then the story itself, uh, it was it was compelling. I I enjoyed the whole plotline of um, these the was what, what do they call them? Not and not androids, but um, yeah, synthetics. Uh, uh, synthetics, yes, yeah. synthetics being uh, illegal now, and Picard running into this. You know, girl who apparently might be the daughter of Data, and that's interesting to me. And had a good cliffhanger at the end, and yeah, overall, I really much enjoyed this episode, and it was a great follow-up to this movie Nemesis. So, if anything, uh, this gives a new appreciation for people who want to revisit Nemesis, and they go, "Oh, you know what? We weren't satisfied back then, but maybe this will give us a proper ending to that story." So, I like it in that aspect. There's there's a lot of people who have that same thinking, you know. There are a lot of people who are like, Nemesis was not the finale that that we deserved, and now we're getting that with Picard. Um, and and just something which I, I find to be fascinating, and, and you see this a lot in in movies. I think we're this is going to happen with the new Bond movie, to be honest. But the idea of making a sequel to a movie that people don't like but needing to encourage you know like nobody is like oh nemesis and data's death you know whatever but like here is now a thing picard which is intrinsically tied to nemesis like referencing like the song from nemesis and yet it's like you're dragging people into the story emotionally that you know, building on top of something that they hated. You know, that happened <laughs> yeah. with, like, the X-Files, where, like, you know, the, the last whatever is dealing with, like, their kid, which is all happened before they, after people stopped watching the show. <laughs> you know, you see uh, Leah Seydoux's character in um, the No Time to Die trailer, and it's like, wow, you know, the, the, what happened in Spectre is really tying in, even though people hated Spectre. So, and, and here, you know, here it is again. It's just a weird little thing. But Diego, what, what what did you think about this? This uh... well, one I want to say I actually like when franchises do that. Even Alien Resurrection, which is like the worst of the four Aliens, like by far uh, the original mm-hmm. four, and like it, it picks up after Alien Three though, and like it it 
it doesn't erase it away. I, I'm really hating this trend. And even with movies I like, like Halloween 2018, which I, I actually thought was excellent, like the incessant need to, ah, we don't, the fans didn't like that. So we got to make the fans happy. Let's get rid of that. Like, I did not like this pilot episode of Picard. No. I like a lot of the elements in it. Mm. I could not pay attention because I was bored out of my skull and I should mm. not have been. It it was definitely written by Cuba Goldsman because every 15 minutes it's like, here's a new plot development. Here's where the soap can go. Here's where the soap can go. Here's, oh my god, now there's ninjas and fighting and there's a time warp. Explosion. Borg Cube. The Borg Cube reveal was actually kind of cool though. I love but, that. Uh, it just, yeah. it, yeah, that, no, that's a, like legitimately great reveal. But like, uh, it's just throwing so much at you. It's like, oh, this, there was a synthetic revolution before the time we saw. Oh, my God. Picard left Starfleet? What was that about? Oh, my God. Now you're dealing with data fallout? Oh, my God. And it just keeps throwing stuff at you. And, like, I feel like I was going crazy watching it. Like, it's it's a show. It's a visual medium. You can, you can incorporate – I think that's why the Borg reveal is so great because it tells you this thing you're watching is not just important because it's establishing a new storyline but because it's like, oh, in greater context of the series, we as the audience recognize that there are bigger implications of what's happening. It's not just the characters talking about the bigger implications of what's happening, which is a lot of the first 40 minutes of the episode. <laughs> And so that's why I liked the last scene because I was like, oh, thank God. It stops. <laughs> but it's also like I, I think that was like the best element of the episode. It, it just took a moment to breathe. The direction is pretty good. The editing I thought was like awful. Um, it doesn't know how to cut between the wides and the close-ups and that was starting to get really frustrating. But uh, I did like the looseness of the visuals because television is not often that. So there's a lot of like handheld stuff and it just felt like – it felt like it should have had more room to breathe, and I don't think we needed to establish all of these elements in the same episode. Like, that was crazy to me. I was actually really disappointed, but I was very happy to see John Luke again. I love number one. Oh, yeah. He's an ex- extremely good boy. <laughs> um, uh, I, I don't particularly care for the, the, the data memories. I think it would have been more interesting to have John Luke Picard just feel miserable about having to leave Starfleet because it's not Starfleet anymore, like he said, and then that smacks him in the face. But it's it's just juggling so much, and I'm curious enough to keep watching because of that cliffhanger. But I was I was pretty exhausted after the the first forty minutes. But uh, it's it's got a hook, and it's, it's got me now. So we'll see. Okay, all right. Um, I mean, one thing which you know, I was like, uh, okay, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves by watching this here. But the other cool element here is that you know the whole premise for like him leaving Starfleet and everything, the disaster, the Romulan homeworld, you know, uh, getting blown up. That is what th- that is the inciting incident or whatever you want to call it for star trek 09 right yeah. that's the whole thing that oh. spock is trying to stop when he gets thrown back in time that's why nero the the villain is so mad because spock wasn't able to stop the sun from exploding you know and, and destroying romulus and what 
Picard is showing, what Picard was doing was while Spock was trying to stop it, Picard was trying to get everyone out of there. So it, it's kind of cool. Like that incident is what created Star Trek 09, but it's also what created Picard. And you're just seeing it, how it impacts two different timelines, you know, and, and the, I'm shocked that they did. I mean, you'd think that it would make sense since Alex Kurtzman wrote the other one, but there's a lot of weird rights issues with Paramount and CBS, and I'm shocked that they were allowed to do it, but I'm really glad that they did. because I think We'll talk I, about it more in the 09 episode, but I really like I, I really liked all the ideas and the stories that they were like forcing at you at rapid fire pace. It was just too much for one episode for me. Yeah. yeah. But I, I like that element a lot. I guess really like I want to see where that goes, you know? That's, that's too much to leave up in the air for the other half hour of the episode that was left. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was only like what forty five minutes, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I mean, I didn't have essentially a, as big as a problem as Diego, but I agree that they they try to in, like catch everybody up to all these things that happened, you know, since we last saw Picard. And you bringing up that thing from Star Trek Nine, Mike. I I just now made that connection. I go, oh, that's right, that's that th- that's that thing. <laughs> but then they also throw in the stuff that happens on Mars, which is its own. It was happening. It was happening concurrently to the supernova, right? It's it's related. Um, I, I'm not exactly sure if they get into it here. I mean, I think they do a little bit, but basically, the idea is because this was like a long term thing, right? But the idea is like Romulus was going to be destroyed. They needed to get everyone out of there. So basically, on Mars, that's where they were building ships, and they were building a bunch of like, you know. Uh, arcs or whatever to send off to uh, to to Romulus to get everyone and 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 evacuate them successfully. So when Mars, you know, was attacked, it, what they were doing was destroying that fleet that was supposed to save Romulus. Okay. See. Okay. Uh, I. I yeah, see, I didn't get that either. So it's, in retrospect, it, yeah. they did a bad job of explaining that. <laughs> it, in that it's, episode. it's really complicated, especially because you're like, wait a minute, there's a tragedy. Is that the tragedy? Because there's so many yeah. tragedies. It's like, uh, <laughs> I no, I mean, it's it's like, well, in, in Discovery, it happens where it's like the main character Burnham, like she's the survivor of a terrorist attack, and then she's the survivor of another terrorist attack. Like there's two events when she was a kid that she survived. And it's like, okay. The, 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 the term hat on a hat came to mind uh-huh. when watching this, especially during that, when that uh, plot device of him being sent up for interview and yeah. then them throwing exposition, those two events just in my mind were like, wait, wait, wait a second. Which is, I know. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I know they're trying to like do like a, and and I did see that short trek. Oh, you you watched um, it. Yeah. I forget the name of it. Uh, Children of Mars directed by Mark Pellington, by the way. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, did you watch that one Diego or not? I did not. No. I mean, it's not necessary. No, it's not necessary, but it, it gives, it doesn't even give like a lot more context. It just, it just, it's a sidebar. Yeah. It helps frame it more like this, that event, the Mars thing, especially is supposed to be like, they're like nine 11, yeah. you know? And I, I, I get that. And 
I don't, I don't know. I, it's, I get it. I get it. I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. say it's like, I wouldn't say it's used exceptionally well. I just saw the first episode, but I get what they're doing. Um, but yeah, I agree. A, it's too much. There is a thing which they do. Uh, and, and, and I just thought about it because they, they do that in, in the next episode where it's a really cool device actually, where every episode of the show starts with a flashback to something it's kind of losty you know but like in in episode two the first scene is um the workers on mars when one of the synths uh basically whatever goes crazy is activated or whatever and then like kills them all right and it's cool because it's the same event that you're seeing in children of mars the the short but from completely different perspective and you know it's it's just kind of a cool thing that they do but they do that throughout like each each episode starts off with a a flashback to one of the characters you know prior to the show or whatever doing something which uh lends some information so it's kind of cool anyway there you go all right so okay we're we're done with next generation. Oh, wow! Wow! We're, yeah, we're moving on to uh, the JJ verse. It's the home Ooh. stretch. Yeah, everyone's uh, favorite. Totally not controversial at all. No, I mean it's just a, a uni- universal praise. I can't wait to talk about two of those movies. <laughs> uh, me too. I wonder if they're the same two. They are definitely oh my not. God. <laughs> Uh, but b- before we, we dive too far into that, uh, we're going to take a, a trip back to 1973 and watch season one, episode two of Star Trek. Oh. The animated series. Oh. Okay. Oh, boy. Okay. We're going to okay. be watching Yesteryear, written by DC Fontana. And, uh, yeah, watch this before you watch okay. uh, the, 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 the movie. I'm curious as to your thoughts on this episode. Uh, yeah. I've never seen a single episode of the animated series, so I'm interested. I cannot wait for you to see it. Ooh. Yeah. Have you seen the animated series at all, Diego? Nope, nothing oh, but clips and little images yeah. on YouTube. Lots of lots of images, lots of gifs, and uh, yeah, you get to experience it in all of its glory. <laughs> okay. um, this week, and well, then, we'll see. And then Star Trek Nine. So exciting times, exciting times. But until then, Diego, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me preaching the good word of nemesis when this comes out at the Diego Crespo at Twitter. Check out uh, the Waffle Press, which is my other podcast where I do other retrospectives and monthly roundups of recently released films and television series uh, at the Waffle Press on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Patreon. Yeah, about an hour ago you tweeted, uh, someone should write a thesis on Shinzon. Yeah, I didn't really mean that. I just was like, Shinzon's a funny name. And then after that, you so. said, everyone remembers Shinzon. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? One 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 note I want to throw in here since we're talking about him. I forgot to mention how much his character reminded me of uh, Bane in Dark Knight Rises. Mm. You know, It's the uh, same backstory. It's the right? literal same one. And I wish they had expanded on that, but unfortunately not. 
but uh, he's an interesting enough character in the right hands. Let's let's let's, let's reboot his character. Let's, let's yeah, they they brought back Khan. Bring back Shinzon. Yeah. Why not Shinzon? <laughs> I'm gonna start a campaign. Hashtag Why not Shinzon? Yeah. What about you, Marcelo? Where can people oh, yes. find you on the internet? Talkfromsociety.com, patreon.com slash talkfromsociety for everything you may ever need about movies, uh, written or podcast-wise, check us out. Also, Black Lives Matter, Trans Lives Matter, fuck J.K. Rowling, fuck the government, fuck police. That's it. <laughs> All right. Hell yeah. yeah. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mumbles3K. You can also find me on my website, filmdamagepod.com, where I'm doing two shows. One's called Film Damage, which is all about film projection, and the other is called Elementary Temporal Mechanics, where we take a look at uh, the time travel in, in movies and television shows and discuss whether or not it makes any sense and try to figure out how to make it make sense. Um, and, and uh, yeah, Got some, got some some good episodes up there now. Twelve Monkeys makes sense. Oh. Back to the Future makes no sense at all. <laughs> I'm I'm assuming you guys will do Star Trek 09, right? I'm sure we will do Star Trek 09 because we're doing uh, we're alternating between movies and Star Trek episodes. So so far we've done <laughs> the Naked Time, and then we did uh, an episode of Deep Space Nine called Past Tense which is very relevant. It's about them going back to um, a future, uh, a, a, a near future of 2024, where um, basically all the cities in America have set up like internment camps for homeless people, basically as a way to like get them off the streets. And, um, you know, the, the, the people in those camps decide to, uh, um, to protest and to, to make their voices heard. And it's crazy how similar it is to what's going on now. I can't the, imagine how people might relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. But the time travel doesn't make any sense. So. <laughs> and so, isn't that what really matters? <laughs> um, so, so check that out over on filmdamagepod.com. So, uh, so that's about it. Are you guys ready? Oh, that's the other thing. Um, that was cut out of this episode. I took a screenshot of it when I was reading the script because it was so amazing. But um, when when Riker is fighting Ron Perlman... That's right. I forgot to talk about that. Let's <laughs> <laughs> continue. Right, right before he, he like kicks him down the shaft, right? The way that he distracts him is, you know, because like Ron Perlman, he, he needs everything dark, right? So Riker like flips on the lights and Ron Perlman's like, ah, you know, and he's like hanging off the thing and he's like, like hanging off and he's about to fall down like this chute. And right before Riker kicks him down the chute, he says, don't worry, hell is dark. (laughs) Wait, wait. (laughs) no, it's not. (laughs) I I mean, (laughs) It can be. I, it's I all guess. fire. <laughs> There's I, plenty of light I don't there. think it's literal. Well, <laughs> okay. So, so should we do? Should we do that instead of our usual one? Uh, sure. Uh, sure. If I can remember what you just said, Mike. Yes. Don't don't worry. Hell don't worry. is dark. How about how about both? How about 
Okay. The one we always do, and then after that, don't worry, hell is dark. Okay. okay. All right. All right. Okay. Yeah, I'm ready. You guys ready? All right, I'm ready. Okay. Yes. Three, two, one. I, I have had, had enough, enough of you. Okay. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Hell, hell, is, hell is dark. Is dark. dark. <laughs> wow. Wow.